So, Mariah and I recorded a perfect podcast episode, but unfortunately there was an error with the recording that caused our voices to be slightly out of sync with each other. I've done my best to edit around this, but you'll notice a few moments where it sticks out. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, and welcome to the official episode one of Un-American Activities. I'm Mariah. I'm Zach. Woohoo! And this week, we watched Red Red fucking... Dawn. So uh, we are going to go through this, introduce it, give you some background, and then talk about the movie. This was the highest our production costs have gone to yet because I had to pay money to rent it. I could not find it for free. Oh, brutal. So yeah, no, I'm out on this one. I lost money. That's a bummer. Uh, I also uh, am buying it for you for Christmas, so you'll never have to pay money for it again. I hope you're ready. Worst present ever. (laughs) For this, we chose this movie as our launching, uh, movie choice because it's, you know, just eighties cold war, uh, sort of paranoia propaganda. And it just seemed, it really fit with the initial, I think that was actually from the beginning. It was like red Dawn. That was the movie that one of us named as like, that'll be, yeah, you, you named it because it's like, it is the most obvious choice. And in some ways, it's kind of like a cop out that we chose, like the most obvious choice. But I think it's you got to do it. We got to talk about this movie and get it out of the way because it is like the quintessential right. Red Scare, Cold War era, um, anti-communist film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it was a it's a big movie. I I was looking up the box office, and the box office was like all right. It wasn't like a record breaking movie. It was the twentieth highest grossing yeah. movie that year. So. Like, good, but not, you know, it wasn't the movie of the year or anything. 1984. But, yeah, like, everybody knows what Red Dawn is, I think. And I guess now they've made the remake, so even younger people know what Red Dawn is. I mean, the new Red Dawn was uh, pretty trash. So I I wonder what the box office was. I didn't look at the box office on that one. I didn't either. Uh, Yeah, Mariah watched it. I didn't watch it. She watched it because she's the overachiever of the duo. And she she wanted to be prepared I, to go in depth, so uh, we should get your view on that. Later. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll it mention it. Bit. It's uh, yeah. but I will say right off the bat, it is not worth watching. <laughs> not even a little. All right. Yeah. So for Red Dawn, we we looked into this, and we both knew. Okay, this is what we're gonna watch. Uh, so I sort of looked into the background on this, and I think the the notable thing to talk about is just mm-hmm. John Milius made it. And and John Milius is fairly his his he's got one of those names that I think most people who are familiar with that era have heard. He you know was friends with Steven Spielberg and uh, George Lucas. He went to USC at the oh. same time as them, so they were all friends. He was part of that group. I guess the less successful of Definitely. the three, um, but but still they you know they they piled around with them. They were all kind of working in that same point. Uh, and John Milius is really just known for being this ultra conservative guy, uh, a self-described right-wing extremist oh. um, who, who, who quote hates all form of government, oh, all forms God. of government. So you look it up and if you've seen anything he's done, he wrote the first two dirty Harry movies, or at least mm-hmm. co-wrote the first okay. two dirty Harry movies. Uh, he wrote apocalypse now and was nominated for an Oscar for it. And uh, that's probably his biggest, uh, you know, quality achievement. He wrote and directed the Conan the Barbarian Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And then he wrote and directed Red Dawn. And he didn't do a whole lot else notable 
uh, he claims he was blacklisted and that's why um, who's yeah, to say, yeah, but, uh, conservatives uh, <laughs> uh, victimizing themselves. Yeah. Our favorite. He compared it to, to like HUAC stuff, which is really funny. Well, um, I, I was reading little bits of interviews with him. <laughs> yeah. No, he said it was basically the same thing, just targeting the, mm -hmm. the poor right wing. And so, yeah, I mean, you look into him and you see that he's done these military movies and that that is what he is known for. Uh, he was a Marine reject because he had asthma and, and couldn't make it. So I guess just spent the rest of his life living out war fantasies. And there's a ton of interesting stuff about how Red Dawn came about. Uh, I looked at a couple of things. You sent me a, a source that was just kind of, you know, one of those fun facts you didn't oh, know about Red absolute Dawn. Absolute gold. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. That kind of informed the episode. So one of the ones that I just thought was really funny is that uh, the original script was by Kevin Reynolds, and it was supposed to be this anti-war movie on a pretty small scale. Um, in the in the the article, it says that he intended it for it to be sort of like a Lord of the Flies mm -hmm. kind of thing. And, you know, as happens in Hollywood, he had this script, uh, wasn't able to direct it because he didn't really have the credibility. So it ended up going to John Milius through whatever, however that goes down. Um, and John Milius uh, totally rewrote it obviously and made it just full-on propaganda he, um, and he said that he like and... wanted it to be the most jingoistic movie ever made you know like he wanted it to to be a propaganda rag yeah yeah no then that was that was pretty well known at, at the point from what i read uh at the point that he became involved the studio embraced it and was like okay this is what we're going for now. This is going to be jingoistic. That was the, the, the even were, their were, acknowledgement. Were we it. able to like um, pin down? I don't know if you looked into this, but I would really like to know if there, cause I, we know that there was like, you know, military consultants on the movie. Do we know if they actually got funding yes. from like the DOD? So I was looking into it and on the lists of the DOD funding that I found, I didn't see it mentioned, but I also didn't look particularly in depth at like okay. a complete list it's or anything. highly likely it would make sense but yeah i mean there was definitely mm -hmm. consultation for it the pentagon knew about it and the pentagon uh was it, the initial like draft of the film was going for an r rating and so uh they cut it down cut out the language and um they didn't cut down the violence but i guess just made it less bloody because that's that really dumb thing of um you know, how much blood it is is really what determines the whether right, it's right. R or PG-13. And this was the first theatrically released PG-13 oh, movie, yeah. which is mm -hmm. funny. And the, the PG-13 rating, though, was intentional. They wanted it to be accessible mm -hmm. to a younger audience uh, and use it for sort of right. recruitment, essentially, uh, which is which is just hilarious. And it's it's almost like we talked about in our sort of intro episode how the goal of the podcast is to tear down this or part of it at least is to tear down this myth of you know the mm -hmm. u.s doesn't have propaganda and we get to the first example and it's we've we've already right. just proven it it's already done like mission accomplished maybe yeah no and, and i think that's why this this movie is was the perfect uh perfect place to start because it's like hello like this is literally uh, this is it this is the beginning of like or not the beginning but it's a it's a prime example of how you know promoting militarism promoting anti-communism promoting um this you know nationalistic jingoism is uh is a part of our like movie culture 
And I think, I mean, yeah. uh, this, this probably doesn't qualify, but like, I, it makes me, reminds me of uh, when that movie American Sniper came out, very controversial. Mm-hmm. And, I, but I, I just remember thinking like, yeah, this is disgusting. Like why, you know, why, why would they make this movie? Like, why would anyone want to watch this movie? But I think that's like, mm-hmm. honestly, did John Milius have something to do with that movie? It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I don't think think he did but i mean who's to say uh, clint eastwood he oh worked with man clint eastwood yeah before i guess because yep. he wrote dirty harry so uh i mean I, they could be friends no. i don't know that wouldn't also just a side note before i'll let you uh carry on but uh kevin reynolds the you know nice guy who wrote this like movie before it was co-opted into this recruitment tool he also made the count of monte cristo he wrote the count of monte cristo which is one of my favorite movies of all time and he also went to usc film okay. school Oh, wow. That's interesting. I didn't look too much in. I know he made like Waterworld. That was, I think that was the thing that I knew that he had made. Uh, yeah, no, I should check that out. I should, I should look more into, I I was reading about it. I was interested to see. Um, I wonder if a, a draft of his or a version of his draft of that original script exists online. I, I, I kind of want to seek it out and read we it. We should email see. him. Oh, we should. Maybe we can do, we'll finish this up and then we'll do like a, a red yes. redux episode where we've read the original script and then compare and contrast. Yeah. So we'll, we'll email you if you're listening, you're not, but we'll email you. Uh, so launching into a quick plot setup for this movie is um, it opens up with these title cards explaining to you this like alternate timeline that we're in where somehow like all of these all of communism is falling but also they're launching an attack on the u.s it's it's very weird the part that i wrote down actually that i thought was hilarious is that it it says that uh quote mexico plunged into revolution and i just thought the use of the word plunged the, is hilarious the the language like the syntax of those title cards is so bizarre and also like like it almost right. felt like they didn't really try that hard with them. They were just like, Oh, here, just like throw the, they had like an intern write it and they just like put it on there and they didn't really <laughs> think about it. Like there's a lot about this movie that is just like deeply immature in terms of it's like mm-hmm. messaging and analysis and stuff uh, on top of like literally everything else. It's, it's not a good movie folks. Right, no, but so. uh, yeah, it says something like how some country has fallen and I'm like, does that do, are, do you mean yeah. that it's like fallen to communism? Because that's how they would, you know, the domino theory. Like they would, that's how they often talked about it. Like, right. oh, you know, Vietnam is going to fall to communism. So uh, maybe that's what they meant. Where like the whole world is like having communist revolutions. Uh, yeah, I guess that could be it. I, I don't know. Like I, I was reading it and it, I felt like um, for I think I do maybe disagree on the uh, the intern writing it because like. It just felt like John Williams wrote it. I mean, I I gotta figure he was he wrote it himself. That was the first thing in the script. He like starts the rewrite and he just knows where he's going with this. Plunge Plunge. into revolution. Yeah. So so we get this setup of like, okay, this is the this is the world as it exists in Red Dawn. Uh this sort of like alternate, but you know, that's also kind of how they I guess are seeing the world anyway. Uh and so then we we kick off and it gets going really fast. Uh, it introduces the the like three of the kids, um, and uh, the lead one being Patrick Swayze, and then his younger brother is a very uh, young Charlie, Charlie Sheen, and then Charlie Sheen's friend. Patrick Swayze drops the two kids off at school and then pulls off, and then within within like two minutes, um, 
the Soviets are parachuting down. The communists mm-hmm. are parachuting down and they blow away the, the school teacher. And luckily Charlie Sheen and his friend are able to escape to Patrick Swayze's car, hop in the back of the truck and they zoom off. And, and now they're hiding in the woods pretty quick um, from the Soviets and also plotting their revenge. And that, that's just sort of the setup for the movie past there. They go in and they become this guerrilla warfare group who is, uh, taking down an Im- impressively um, inept communist force that is made up of um, the Soviets, the Cubans for some reason, and the Nicaraguans, and that is uh, that is the movie. That is how it goes, and they become heroes. yeah, and they like I, they call uh, I just like Zach. <laughs> they call themselves <laughs> the Wolverines, and there's like this sweet little you know moment at the beginning at the very beginning before the you know the paratroopers arrive where they're talking about you know how they lost the football game that last friday night or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like oh it shows like the scoreboard yeah, the wolverines lost to whoever and so yeah then throughout the movie they call themselves the wolverines and the soviets call them the wolverine like they you know they know that there's this guerrilla force out there in the woods attack picking them off one by one and they're called the wolverines like Jesus, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 like a really deeply like goofy yeah. premise uh, from the beginning. And really, one of the funniest parts of the movie is that it takes itself yes. very seriously. Um, it's like the premise itself sort of feels like it would be uh, very much sort of like exploitation um, B movie kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a setup. And it sounds like that, but the movie does not have that kind of fun to it. It's really serious and. Um, just filled with, you know, the the politics that they want. You know, it, you, you can tell that they, they take themselves very seriously yeah. for making it, too. And so it does kind of drain it of any fun that I was sort of oh, hoping it would it's, have. It is deeply unfun. Um, and, you, like, it, you, I get, I also <laughs> get the sense, too, from the actors, like, from uh, from Patrick Swayze. Well, from all of them, but um, from Swayze in particular, that I, I, th- there's a part of me that thinks like, did he think he was going to get like an award for this? Like, <laughs> Oh my Dumb God. Yeah. I, I no, it does. It is very serious. And uh, yeah, it doesn't really have that charm of like, not that it's also like, especially well-made. I mean, there, there are things about it that are, um, that are, you know, like you can tell that it has some kind of a budget, the, the way that certain things play out. Um, you know, they have all of these apparently realistic tanks. Oh, right. Tank yeah. Expert, apparently they got like apparently um, realistic tanks. You know, this, the FBI had to come and investigate or something because one of the tanks looked so real, like looked like such a real Soviet yeah. tank. It's like, oh, dude, how would that? Yes. How would that? <laughs> That's where the planning went was toward uh like making those things realistic for some reason. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so it, yeah, I mean, you can tell that where the budget went. Um, and I mean, that's a major part of the movie. You, you see that you see these battle scenes play out where dudes are just firing rocket launchers in every scene. Um, and the explosions happen. I mean, they're, it, you know, it's pre CGI, right. like real explosions. So I guess it has that going for it, but, um, yeah, so I mean that's the movie. That is that is the movie. There's not a whole lot else that needs to be discussed as far as the plot goes. Um, you get to know the characters. Patrick Swayze is this like graduated from high school. He was the star quarterback yeah. of the team. 
Um, and he is, he is just like the ultimate American, you know, he is, he is like John Milius has wrote himself as, um, Patrick Swayze for some reason. And he's the one who takes on the role of leader for the Wolverines, uh, this group of kids who, you know, other than himself and, uh, Charlie Sheen, his younger brother, uh, don't have any experience with hunting. You know, he teaches these kids how to hunt and, uh, yeah, you get scenes of that and that's, that's. That's the setup. That's yeah, the and and the movie kind of it it flows like really awkwardly in my opinion. Where they there's like a okay now it's Octo- it's September October December January like it, it did it. Oh, yeah, yeah and uh, so the you see the seasons change and 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 the the kids like get more and more hardened and they're wearing like weirder and weirder outfits <laughs> to make them look more and more like crazy guerrilla fighters. Except for somehow they just look goofier yeah. and goofier. It's ridiculous <laughs> they don't it, actually look cool they the literally they do bummer. not look cool if it was going to be impressive or a uh, uh, well-made propaganda they should have been they should have that's cooler. that's where yeah. we're going with this um we, we one, i have one other like thought to add to the background slash plot uh-huh. before we kind of move on uh so in that clickbaity list of fun facts about this movie it mentions that Charlie mm-hmm. Sheen was one of the only actors on you remember this? <laughs> yeah, I was hoping that uh, to talk about that. Yeah, that one of us would bring Yeah, so it it mentions movies. that Charlie Sheen among the other, you know, main ensemble, he was one of the only ones only one of them who was kind of on board with this like anti-Soviet, like anti-communist uh militarism. He was like, yeah, like I'm, you know, yeah, he's a conservative guy. Uh, so he's more on the Milius side of things, whereas everyone else like expressed some kind of discomfort mm-hmm. with the violence and the militarism and everything, even though they obviously still participated in it. So, so yeah, Charlie yeah. Sheen like was was a little more vocal about defending it, and he said that, I mean, he commented about his father Martin Sheen, who is mm-hmm. famously like a very um, socialist leaning kind of liberation theology, a uh, very Catholic man who was like associated with. Um, Is he that cool? Oh I yeah. No, Mar- cool. I mean, Martin I mean, Sheen, cool. like, yeah, like no, Ma- Martin Sheen has, uh, has some pretty like radical politics and he, he was involved in like the anti-nuke movement, lots of protest, yeah. you know, he was one of those guys who would like go to protests with other like uh, religious organizations or whatever and get arrested for, you know, I, I don't know. I can't give you a specific example, but, uh, but I do know that he was involved in that. And so, yeah, Charlie Sheen apparently said something like, my dad thinks he's fucking Gandhi. Like he thinks he's so like, um, you know, such a saint or whatever. And it's interesting to me. That's interesting to me because Martin Sheen famously played, uh, the main character in apocalypse now, whose name is escaping me. What's his name? Um, what is his name? Willard. Ben Willard. Ben Willard. Oh yeah. Ben Captain okay. Willard and Colonel Kurtz. Okay, so so then yeah. real quick, the thing is that Martin Sheen, I listened to a great interview with Martin Sheen uh a few years ago where he talks a little bit about his experience on Apocalypse the set of Apocalypse Now. And Apocalypse Now, like the the process of filming that that movie and like being that actor and absorbing himself in this like very painful 
brutal topic that is like the Vietnam War. Um, Martin Sheen like had a nervous breakdown and like was on, you know, was like mm-hmm. experiencing suicidal ideation and like had to, you know, he yeah. was like, they were, they fit, I'm pretty sure they filmed it in Vietnam, right? Or in, uh, they filmed it oh, in okay, the Philippines yeah. primarily, but they did have to, they had to like film around him for a while because he Ex- exactly. had that breakdown. In the middle yeah. Do you know, you, you've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen okay. apocalypse now so many times. So, um, yeah, I, I've always read about that, and I never knew the I never knew the extent of it though. I thought that um, I had always just sort of read vague things about how he had some sort of a, a health issue, had disappeared for a while because he had to like heal up or whatever, and then eventually came back. And during that time, because the film was already so over budget, they basically were just filming yep. sections without mm-hmm. him as they could. But I didn't know about the, you know, that he had like a, a, a mental breakdown and was, you know, suicidal. That's that's really interesting. I would love to yeah, I'll, interview. If I'll track it down. I should have re-listened to it before, before I brought this up. But um, he, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And it just like... <sighs> it's just crazy what you know how things skip generations right like we've got martin sheen and (laughs) and his just absolutely nut job narcissist of a son but then there's also emilio estevez who's his other son who's like a great guy i just think it's interesting because martin sheen is such an just shout out to martin sheen we like martin sheen we'll send him an invite Mm -hmm. we'll do a whole episode Regarding the um, the time jump that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that like September, October, you know, where it's it's jumping ahead. Um, I watched it with my fiance Tia. I watched about like half okay. the first half. She was in the room with me. Uh, at a certain point, uh, they it was like I thought I didn't see the time card the first time that it popped up mm. and said it was October now. And they had they they had talked to somebody and they broke down that this was um, they were in occupied, whatever. And then the rest of it was FA free America. I was so confused at first. Cause I was like, what the fuck? Like, isn't this day two of the invasion? Like, how are they already? And he was like, no, it, it jumped. And I was like, Oh, all right. So yeah. You saying that it was like a very kind of sloppily executed time jump. Totally. Thing. Yeah, t- totally. Totally. It, Cause I was, I looked down for a second. Right. And, and, and they so. just like, don't, it also just doesn't make any fucking sense because like, the United States is a huge goddamn country. Like it, uh, none of it makes any sense. And it, w- there, yeah, no, the whole concept of there being like occupied territory and free America uh, within a month makes it. It, it right. does not track <laughs> at all. Well, and that's that was one of the things that I do actually want to talk about. Um, I think moving on from plot to just uh, initial thoughts. Um, like this movie gets going and it's pretty clearly aimed at kids. Like it is aimed at kids in the same way that like any kids movie is uh, specifically because all of the adults in this movie are so fucking yes. incompetent. Like they are all just total blowhards. Uh, you know, they talk to their dad, Harry Dean Stan at one point and, and he's like very serious and he's like, oh, they got me. And all of his other, you know, this where this is in like Colorado, and it's all the other like, you know, tough Colorado, really manly men are like, oh, they got us, and it, so it's like five kids, and they're the ones that are like the successful ones. And I'm like, dude, you're telling me all of these dudes who are talking mad shit, who are like armed to the teeth, 
are instantly taken down by these parachuting Soviets and then just totally useless after that. Like, it's not even like a battle happens. It's like the Soviets come down and kill like three people and then everybody's rounded up into camps. And it's like, you guys fucking suck. Like, this is just pure incompetence. I don't understand. Like, and that like, was what the, I realized, the point like, of your the, Second Amendment, right, man? <laughs> right. Like, they, they have this whole thing about how, like, you know, they've been ready and how Harry Dean Stanton is like, I've been training you kids uh, for this day. Uh, like, what? And uh, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was like, they're just every adult in this movie. They immediately give up and they are useless. And and that was really when it clicked for me that like while already the movie you have to have, you know, suspend suspension right. disbelief. Um you from the beginning, but at this point, that's where you realize like it's in the same way that those sort of kid action yeah, yeah, yeah. movies are, where um only yep. a kid spy can save kids. the day. Yeah, exactly. Like spy kids or uh, any of those, any of those. Um and it's it's sort of weird because it's like that going on but also it's extremely violent it, it is very serious it doesn't have the humor mm -hmm. of like a kid's movie so tonally it's so strange because it's got a weird like only kids can save the day thing coming on while also just being like people getting obliterated and killed like all the time um and and so it's just it's really funny watching it and and picking up on that because then it, it really does become clear that you know, this was a movie right. aimed at kids to to get them to enlist. That is the purpose of this movie. It, it doesn't really serve any other purpose. It's just that. Well, and it, it also just like it shows the process of these kids. Like, because like you pointed out, uh, Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen, their characters are like they have experience hunting and being in the woods. And, you know, they they bring that up right, mm -hmm. away, right away that they're like, we've spent every you know, every hunting season in the, in these mountains, like we can survive, we'll teach you. And, and the other kids have some hesitation. They're scared. They, you know, they're like, shouldn't we go back? Like maybe we can survive. Yeah. Let's, let's turn, turn, ourselves turn ourselves in, in just yeah. live under occupation and try and like figure it out from there instead of just like being rogue. But Patrick Swayze is like, no, we, we got to sit like, we're, we're not going back basically, which honestly, that kind of felt like coward vibes to me where it's like, okay, so you're going to like, you're just going to leave everyone you knew living under occupation so that you can survive <laughs> like living off of deer and berries and stuff in the mountains and like not have to deal with any, like, it, I don't know. It, it felt really weird. But so my original point was that, um, yeah, you see that like the process of these kids being slowly hardened into like, really intense guerrilla fighters from being just kind of like regular kids. I, yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. another, I, in a weird way, it's like, why would you want to show people that? But I guess maybe it's kind of like a, yeah, you can be badass too. Like you can, maybe you don't know how to shoot a gun, but neither did this girl. And now she's like killing Russians. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think that kind of goes into a, another good point, which is that it, it is sort of like a, um, you know, girls can fight yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the female characters in it are also. I mean, I think I think that's still like they're oh. still depicted a little bit like. Can we talk about that? Totally. So yeah, okay, so no, the one of the words that I wrote down like a like a stream of consciousness, just like all the the adjectives that I that I thought of when watching this movie as I was watching it, and one of them was just it's just fucking misogynistic. Like the way that the women are portrayed, even though they're, you know, like, like you said that, you know, the women are fighting side by side, the men and they have their guns and they kind of, you know, they kind of give them this like uh, equal position. 
um, in the this little guerrilla force they've got going on. But when the women character, the girl characters are introduced, they are crouching, you know, hiding in the cellar of this this old man's house. I think they're um, his grandchildren. And it's it is strongly, strongly, strongly implied that these girls have been like raped or abused or whatever that they that they like got caught at some point and then escaped yeah because the the guy that's uh hiding them under the yeah. floorboards <laughs> weird um says uh that the the couple of soldiers yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, we, that's them. exactly you're um, right and that but that is that's like a constant thing throughout the movie anytime that they are not mm-hmm. with the men it's like um the all of the the communist soldiers in it are just like exactly. rape hungry beasts that are that's yep, that's the which is just classic like you know turn the turn the enemy into this like indiscriminately violent uh you know n- subhuman mm-hmm. uh, animalistic kind of force and it, it's just so like it's so it was so hard for me to like find that just like didn't sit right with me at all because we know that u.s soldiers rape and abuse women in war zones we know this it's been happening forever yeah. it happened in world war one it happened in world war two it happened right. in vietnam it happened in korea it happened you know it's still happening we know that within the ranks of the united states military women soldiers are raped abused systematically mm-hmm. you know and it's all covered up so it mm-hmm. i just found it really hard to to be like sympathetic i guess towards this kind of like the this line of like oh this these soviets and these communists are so violent it's like well no like you you have where is your moral high ground to uh, to depict these people in this way um and also it's just like it's very paternalistic towards the these young women i don't know where else to go with it except for that as a woman like i found it kind of offensive um, and I was just like, come on, man, like, you don't got you don't got to bring this up. Like, yeah, like, we all know that like, rape and sexual violence are a part of war and occupation. Ugh, it just felt really icky. No, I think you're totally you're totally right. I mean, and that that is a thing. Um, it, it is made I thought I actually noted that down too. Um, that you know, it's funny this coming, you know, a decade after Vietnam. And yeah, like, there are so many even even just movies made about Vietnam uh, here that depict the soldiers, yeah. uh, you know, engaged in all sort of hor- horrendous rape of of mm-hmm. Vietnamese women and and all of that. I mean, that's that's a thing that you know even other movies show, and it sort of does kind of the fact that it is weaponized in this way as like these are these are the people that are going to try and invade right. us, you know. It, and it, it's a classic. I mean, it's the classic propaganda movie. It's the classic Projection. um in in film too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like anything. Anytime, you know, something is trying to depict uh the enemy, mm-hmm. the other country that is, you know, so much worse, they it's they're yep. going to rape our women. That is that is where they oh, yeah. start at. And that's what it's class it's too. classic uh white supremacy as well too because it's like anybody anybody you know we're right. anybody who's not white any man who's not white is going to rape our white women and like defile them you know um and right. just another small example on this topic then we can move on uh there there's a, a very sm- subtle small scene where uh leah thompson like she you know they the, the girls like don't speak at all for for most of their early, their early scenes <laughs> 
Which, <laughs> no, that's true. They really don't. They're, they're just, just mute. And the, the implication, <laughs> right, is that they're traumatized because they've been raped, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, they're, we have to be like very, they're very like fragile. They're sensitive because they've like been abused. Um, and so they're kind of like, they're kind of, they kind of like act like feral animals, like in a way, like their hair is all messed up and they're, you know, they, like uh, Leah Thompson's character has this uh, almost like an artificial tan. Like she looks like sunburned the whole time. Like, I don't know if that's what, yeah, I don't think, I noticed that too. Yeah, no, that I totally felt really fake. That. I, I don't yeah. think that's what she actually looks looked like. I mean, maybe it was sunny in Colorado when they were, I don't know. But so <laughs> she kind of looks like really wild. She has, they both have this like really wild and curly hair. And anyway, so they're they're treating them like very carefully, I guess. And yeah, they're mute. But then there's this one scene where there's they're like eating around the campfire, all all the the whole group of people, they're eating around the campfire and Charlie Sheen's character tries to tell Leah Thompson to do the fucking dishes, basically like here, clean up. And she like mm-hmm. throws the dish at him and is like, you know, if you ever, t- if you ever say that to me again, I'll kill you. And he gets, you know, Oh, what's up your butt kind of thing. Like that kind of attitude. I think he literally says that, doesn't he? Doesn't he like say something? Equivalent yeah. To, like, I, I, I wish that I had rewatched that. And it just like, again, as a woman, like that interaction is so familiar to me where it's like you, you kind of like reach your threshold of the misogynistic bullshit that you're surrounded by. And then somebody says something. And when you actually react, they're like, Whoa, why so sensitive? And I I don't know. I, I, I I almost like, I hate it, but I appreciate that they actually allowed her to like express some anger right there because it's like, yeah, fuck you, Charlie Sheen, Mm -hmm. you piece of shit. Like your character is an asshole. Your actor, like you are an asshole as a person. Yeah. Well, no, and that's that's one of the things that I think is also interesting about the movie is like you really did hit the nail on the head with that is you're like, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like this and it does feel realistic. And it's like, right, they give these two female characters um, like just enough of a sort of like girl mm-hmm. power thing <laughs> to then, you know, be like, you know, girls can do it too. see the these are these are tough girls we got here and they're they're tough you know it's like you give that just a little bit of like i see we're kind of progressive and and then everything else well and it's like they're tough but they're tough because they not only have to put up with living under these like crazy conditions of being you know a gorilla fighting force against this massive you know soviet uh axis power whatever uh occupying their country but they also have to put up with misogyny mm-hmm. and abuse from their own men. And I mm-hmm. like, I really thought mm-hmm. about it. Maybe this is getting a little too in the weeds, but like, to me, it made me think like, this is what quote unquote feminist liberation looks like under capitalism. It, it, it's all it is, is just this like fake girl boss. Like, yeah, you can have a gun too, but then you also have to do the dishes. And, and yeah, you can fight, right. you can stand up against that, but like, ultimately your role is subservient and you're going to be used as like, I, 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 I don't, I don't know exactly where, where to go with that, but, but, but you know what I'm saying where it's like, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't recognize either of these actresses from other movies, but I, so I feel bad, like not knowing who they are, but, uh, Oh, I don't know much about Jennifer Gray. Leah Thompson is like, was pretty big yeah. in, at the time because, um, I guess, I guess they both were, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's a little, a little, apparently me, so I don't totally Jennifer Gray fucking things. hated Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Because they did, dancing. Uh, what you call it together. And she Dirty like, <laughs> was this in that one like article that I sent you or she like cried when she found out that Patrick Swayze got cast in Dirty Dancing? <laughs> 
She was like, fuck, I don't want to work with that <laughs> no, guy. I, I, I don't think I've read that. Yeah, they had Matt Beef because he's a I dick, apparently. And, and yeah, no, I, I think that sucks. Like, And this is the kind of thing that women have to put up with. It's like, you just like have to... Mm-hmm. And these are just white women, right? Like, we, we don't even have to... And so, I don't know, it just, it just really falls on... It, it just falls flat for me because it's like nobody in America, nobody in this country understands like what, h- how the rights of women and like the the role of women expanded under communism in Russia. Like I'm not an expert and this is not, mm-hmm. this is not what the show is about. So we don't need to talk about it much more, but it's like, it's just so fucking like short sighted, narrow, like narrow, uh, narrowly depicted. Like somebody could probably do a whole ep- you know, a whole podcast episode just about like the feminist implications of the two women characters in this movie. So anyway, mm-hmm. that that's all I had to say about that. We can, we can shift. Uh, no, I think that was all good. That was all really uh, relevant. And I'm glad that you talked about it because, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it mentioned in one of the, the sources that I looked at that it was kind of in some ways viewed as progressive because of, you know, the the women characters in it. And so I do feel like that's something kind of important to talk about is like, okay, well, is it really, how is it not? Yeah, and you, you're probably a better one to uh, well, talk about that. I, so. I mean, I think it's interesting uh, too, because like, I think that you, you know, you probably noticed, like you, you did, you mentioned it, like you noticed that there was kind of like a weird, yeah, like, eh, what's going on with these two girl characters, but it's like any man with any kind of self-respect and respect for people who aren't men is that like, you would notice the kind of bizarre behavior, the bizarre treatment that's, that's being depicted and for my experience, like I, like I said, because I have lived these, these types of experiences and interactions with men, like, and I've watched it happen my whole life. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. to look at. Well, I think too, um, just even regarding like the, the women in this movie, we haven't even talked about the weird fucking power. And that's like, just even in the final cut, because Mm -hmm. you told me that thing about um, the initial draft, but at one point in the movie, uh, for people who haven't seen it, uh, they find a an older, like military dude. Is he I, like Air I think Force he's Marines. or something? Anyway, I, I think know. he's Marines. Uh, so yeah, they're played by Powers Booth. They run into him, and he joins their crew. And I mean, that's some of the like best notes that I took was regarding that. Uh, one of the funniest parts of the movie to get a little off topic was there's a scene where they're all gathered around the fire and he has come from a, a free America zone. So he, he's a little bit more in the know on the goings on of the world. And there's this talk about like, who's on our side. And he says, 600 million Chinese, but he uses a slur. And, uh, and the kid is like, Last time I checked, wasn't there yeah. a billion Chinese? And then he goes, there oh, were. <laughs> and, and I rewound it and I was like, what, what does that mean? Uh, is the implication that uh, communist China has just executed half of its population with its, uh, you know, For the communism? I don't, uh, really, really. See, there, there were some things weird shit. that like that that just went completely over my head because I was just like, banging my head on the table (laughs) uh no i mean that it was that was one that stuck out to me because i i missed it the first time but i had kind of picked up a little bit and i was like hold on what the fuck did you just say so i rewound it and then i i listened to it twice and then i turned subtitles on and i was like 
Oh, that's I what guess. he said. I don't. What is what is the what does he say? It was so weird. But the initial point. I was just gonna well, say, sorry, just go in general, like the way his descriptions of like what things were like, you know, on the other side of the you know enemy lines or whatever, is just so like over the top, mm-hmm. melodramatic, completely like astroturfed. Mm-hmm. Just it just it just all felt very fake and like I said, very immature. It's it it was like comic book esque. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the movie is kind of comic yeah. book esque. That's a good way of putting it. At one point, we were watching and they're they're um you know they're spray painting. Oh my god! On everything and and I was just sitting there like what I wasn't thinking much of it. And Tia turned to me and she goes, "Where are they getting all this spray paint?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they really did go to a lot of length to be able to spray paint all this on and. I didn't see him get any spray paint. Why would they think to get spray right. paint? Right, and and also just uh, like why, why, why leave a calling card for yourselves? Like, what's the point? <laughs> well, they had to strike fear. Oh, the you're right. Because yeah. um, yes, that was the only way. Well, and isn't there a line uh, uh, at some point where maybe it's Powers Booth's character who's just like, uh, they've heard, they've heard about you on the other side. Like you're, you're, you're the ones keeping him going. Like the, like the Wolverines are like inspiring. Yeah the rest of the country to like join the fight, the armed struggle against the communists. Yeah. That was a thing. They are, they become a symbol. Oh in my free God. You still jerk yourself and, off already. Uh, yeah, seriously. Yeah. But I, I mean, it is a thing and it does play into the, the whole like appeal to youth. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, like you are the hope yes. against communism, the youth of America. Um, and that's something I definitely want to talk about more in depth a little later, but it's kind of how the whole thing works throughout um what what i was initially i keep getting distracted but what i was initially going to say with the powers booth thing is that one of the key things with his character is that he is like he has a really weirdly kind of sexual like tension with um leah thompson's Uh character yeah right yeah and well and and, like um, is he the one who finds him or is it the other girl it might have been her i can't remember which one honestly i got him kind of mixed up at points i got all the characters except for um, Patrick Swayze. They all look the same, man. They're and and a lot of times they they're do. wearing hats yeah. and masks and stuff, so you can't really tell. But yeah, anyway, so right. yeah, one of these girls like finds Powers Booth's character like sleeping in the in the woods or whatever, and put you know puts her gun in his face and asks him, you know, what's the capital of Texas? <laughs> and he and he says, yeah, he, he says Dallas, and, and she's like, it's like, Austin. No, isn't it? Or Houston? Houston? Yeah, I don't know. It, See, neither of us know the capital of Texas is the point of this. Well, no, I think I think I the capital is Austin, but it's also just like what the fuck kind of qu- like anybody you know we you're really gonna ask this you know if you think this person's a russian like that's just such an old you know they do that in movies all the time like in in mash when you know when i used to watch mash all the time it's like uh that's you ask like who won the world series in 1952 i'd be oh so my god fucked. well but that's the thing is that it's like oh what's common knowledge that like only an american would know that like you know a chinese spy wouldn't know it's like, okay, well, if they're a good spy, they would know. Well, I don't know what that says about me because if they put the gun in my face and they were like, what state is to the east of Idaho? I would be like, all right, go ahead. And pull the trigger. I don't know. I can't point to Idaho on a map. I'm from California. I only know California things. Okay. We are the center of the universe. Please stop. Well, and that's, again, it's just fucking pointless. And it's like, what the hell is it? it yeah. America's fake. End of story. <laughs> Got him. Yeah. Yeah. So th- they, this sort of like weird relationship comes out between the two characters where um, she is very clearly like, yeah, she's into him, even though she, she's a high school girl and he's like right. in his 30s. 
Yeah, and she is like at one point revealed to be in love with him. But he is also like flirtatious, you know. He is sort of like playful. He she asks him about yep. his wife and he compares his wife to her, which I was like that's yeah. fucking weird. Are they like are they going to fuck in this movie? And the answer is no, they don't. But apparently you were, yeah. you were telling me in the initial, in the, in the initial so. cut of the movie, like they even, I'm pretty sure they even filmed the scene. Oh, you're right. It's a cut. It's not the, yeah, and, no, they, they cut and it. Leah t- yeah. Yeah. Scene, because right? they, they screened it and people were like, uh, the age difference is really creepy between these two because this girl is supposed to be in high school. But apparently Leah Thompson was really upset that that got cut from the movie because she, because she thought it was like the best <laughs> scene in the movie. And I'm like, Jesus, you're just horny. Like, <laughs> who isn't horny for power? Ugh, Peter, no. Uh, no, that was it was weird. It's a weird scene and also like uncomfortable. And the fact that initially they hook up and that's apparently a great scene. Like, it, yeah, it, well, it's it's just like there's something to kind of fetishize about this. That kind of like uh, finding romance, finding love in the midst of this like horrible violence and tragedy. Like, there's a lot of movies that that kind of exploit that mm-hmm. um, that dynamic. Like, I, did you ever see that movie Defiance? I saw it when I was I was pretty. Same young. Here. I saw it in theaters. And Same, I was pretty but young, but, so. but they do. I'm okay. just that's just an example of how like uh, or Enemy at the Gate. So it's a, it's a movie about about Russia, mm-hmm. the the Soviets fighting with the Nazis. That's like there's a lot of sex in that movie where you're like, eh, isn't this a war movie? So it's just a, it's just a way. It's uh it's clickbait. Sure, like I, I definitely don't disagree with that, and I, my problem isn't like oh there's. Like, why are they embarking on a relationship? My problem is she's like 17 at the oldest and he is like 36, no, it doesn't make, you know? It doesn't make any Something sense. Like and that. in the uh, the new version, the 2012 Red Dawn, uh, there they do bring in some, you know, some, uh, some fucking happening or the implication of fucking happening. <laughs> and, uh, but they solve the like, you know, they they do away with this age difference problem by just having it be between you know between people who are consenting. Well, adults. yeah, between kids who two high schoolers Large and then yeah, two consenting adults. Good to know. Good to know that they incorporated it from the initial into the remake, but then yeah, to make it, it make slightly more right. sense. Yeah, make make it less gross. Okay, but I thought that was worth noting as far as the sort of the you know girl power feminism like also though there's a weird predatory relationship and this girl is heartbroken right dies and uh well and yeah it's just kind of like again it just makes her this this girl kind of seem like a lost like broken puppy uh rather than like a Mm -hmm. fully actualized independent woman (laughs) like it's weird no, totally. That, uh, that's really what it is. She doesn't feel like a fully and like right. she is a kid. And I think that they do sort of try to chop it up to that because he dies and she's like, I'll never love again. And somebody says something to her. I don't even remember. It was forgettable. But um, but they do sort of try to be like, oh, you know, she's just young and in love. But it's still weird. Like, it's still weird that they got that close and that they, already their relationship was right. inappropriate, even if they cut out exactly. them hooking up. Like, he was kind of creepy. Right. So um, you had a couple of scenes that you wanted to talk about. Um, right? Yeah, I have a couple of scenes I want to talk about. But I, I guess before we move on to that, I, I just wanted to point out some of the, mm-hmm. like, characteristics that are depicted throughout the movie that are like kind of comical uh like imagery it's like it's this con this communist imagery that they that they throw in to mm-hmm. paint the picture that this is like an occupied territory now um and some of them are really great one of them 
there's a beautiful sign, like a, a, a propaganda poster that gets pla- that you see plastered kind of in the background of the streets of town. And one, one of them says, in America, the poor still go hungry. And it's like a dramatic picture. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they do. Like, you know, <laughs> not wrong. Not wrong. Like, what, where's the lie? <laughs> yeah. And then there's another one that, uh, again, it's kind of wheat pasted, like plastered all over um, the kind of upper part of this b- nice big building in town. And it's like this dramatic Soviet style, like shirtless, buff looking dude. Uh, on like a red background with re- like red, yellow, like bright, really bright colors. And then the it just says, a new man arises from the ashes of capitalism. And I'm like, oh, I, I love that. that. I, wa- I kind of want that poster, <laughs> that right? Too, like, yeah, that can be a red Dante too. We get our matchers. It, it's, and it's just funny because like, that's what they came up with. Or like, maybe those were real signs, like real propaganda posters that someone like discovered, you know, in the Soviet Union. Are you supposed to like roll your eyes at it then? That's like the, it's like a yeah. What the heck? Like America's not perfect. What do you? Yeah, or like what are they? You know, this is them talking shit on capitalism, like the ashes of cap. You know, they're gonna burn down capitalism. It's like, and me, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, do it. New man will arise from the ashes of capitalism, (laughs) like. Um, yeah. And then I also really <laughs> like the um, they take they take over the movie theater, the local movie theater, and on the the marquee, they, you see it. It's just very subtle, like passing shot. A whole weekend of Andrei Nevsky. <laughs> okay, I saw that there was something, and I I meant to rewind it. Yep, but I didn't. a that's whole weekend says? of Andrei Nevsky. So it's like oh, you get double funny. features of Andrei Nevsky movies, and I'm just like, oh yes, like because that's what we get. We get shown, you know, pictures of occupied france under nazi germany it's (laughs) they make all the movie theaters um play play uh, german movies Mm -hmm. and it's like i I don't know can you imagine a bunch of americans like being forced to watch russian movies in (laughs) one of them just gets one of these like hicks gets just like really (laughs) into it he's like hey this this isn't so bad and oh no <laughs> i mean americans can't read subtitles right it was not a bong joon ho joke about like <laughs> oh it's uh yeah they got to get past that right. thing at the bottom <laughs> of the screen yeah. yeah shout out shout out the king we'll send him an email too we're gonna send yep. so many emails yep. after this hopefully we'll receive emails after this but you know, <laughs> i'm getting ahead of myself we'll see where we go <laughs> i think that what you say too is interesting because that was one of my thoughts um was that like they want to make them not yeah, so, so bad yeah. like they want so bad for the commies to be like from the beginning when they yep. parachute down like the first time i saw it i was like this looks like when the nazis invade belarus and in uh come and see oh uh, like it it's like it's the same look it's like when the dude the soviet dude is like giving the speech in the yes. war room, his mannerisms almost are like that he even has the mustache he does have the yeah he does kind of have he has a mustache but like they want Stalin yeah, to be no, it is, hitler totally. so bad so it makes perfect sense so um, bad yeah no that is really it's so evident too because um at, like everything about it and what you're saying with the um with the the marquee and you're talking about you know in france you see this and yeah no like that really they just took like things that the nazis did and then tried to like in equally assign that to the soviets they they plaster soviet flags everywhere they're you know they they take over the you Mm -hmm. know the post office or whatever and turn it into a soviet american friendship center that's all painted red and yellow like they just like 
yeah, they turned the whole street into, or, you know, this, imagine this little small, like Colorado town, they turn it into like a mini, uh, a mini Soviet. Right. Uh, yeah. They, and then it also just like the way that they, that the whole movie seeks to turn the, turn the communists, uh, both the Cubans and the Soviets and, and uh, whoever else it is, they try to turn them into these like genocidal, absolutely bloodthirsty maniacs. Again, mm-hmm. it just falls so flat for me because it's like, they, these are not they, like, these countries were not like imperialist powers. It makes no sense. Like a, a Cuban guy has absolutely no interest in <laughs> colonizing Colorado. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> And it, it, it like I think I, I wrote on, I wrote the words a historical representation of how Soviets and Cubans fought in wars and engaged internationally. Obviously, this movie is not is is supposed to be like agitational and propaganda. It's not supposed to be historically accurate, but it's extremely jarring when you think about like what the Soviets were like accomplished the good that the Soviets accomplished in the world, which was defeating the Nazis. Like we you know we can spend a whole hour talking just about that. And about the lies that we were told about how about our like totally inflated role in fighting Germany in World War Two, mm-hmm. and then yeah, just the f- I I can go on a whole diatribe. Let, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, I, but I mean that's a big thing, and I it, it's sort of like to your point, it's sort of funny because it's like you know if your uh, villain is is so evil, then why are you just making them into a different villain? Exactly. You know? Like why? <laughs> If they're so bad, then why aren't they just doing bad Soviet things? Why do they have to be doing you or, know, or why do they have to be doing you know? American things? Like that like that's another thing. Like 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 uh, I said yeah. before, it's all just projection where they that we are just watching our en- you know, quote unquote enemy do exactly what we have done to countries over and over and over again. It it just like it, it's baffling to me. How, the audacity of of Americans to think that like we could be the victim of this kind of uh, like military violence when we are the greatest purveyor of that violence. No, totally. And it's and it's funny too because um, like John Milius exactly. knows that you know like the people making this aren't just like ignorant to the mm-hmm. things that America's done. J- John Milius is not a stupid no. guy, honestly. Like I, if you if you look at everything that he said and you know how people view him, it doesn't sound to me like he's just like a total idiot who's you know um, bought into all of this stuff. I, I mean, I think that he he just he knows what he's doing, and that is the way mm-hmm. he crafted this movie. And I think that that's evident through. Yeah. It's because it's, um, yeah, it's his it's his worldview. No, yeah, totally. And sort of, I guess this is sort of like kicking us into analysis. But one of the notes that I took was that um, I thought I thought that the movie was funny because it isn't like the way that this is created. It is not made as like on the defense. Yeah. It's not made as a movie about like defending against Soviets. It's not a movie about like, you know, fear of mm-hmm. what could happen. It's capitalizing on the fear of what could happen because, you know, in 84 in America, people, there were like plenty of people were genuinely afraid of that, even though like that right. really wasn't a thing. But, you know, that was, it was playing into that like hysteria, that Cold War fear and everything. Um, but the movie isn't made from the perspective of somebody who was like, ah, oh, this would be so scary. This could happen. It's the vision of someone who like practically wishes exactly. it would happen. That uh, it's intended to stoke fear in everyone else, but uh, the guy making this, in this case, John Milius, and of course, I'm, I'm sure it's not just him. He mm-hmm. had Pentagon people giving him feedback right. on it too. But it's it's on the offense. It is playing in the offense. On it, this. Um, 
and it's it's very much like a a fantasy it plays mm-hmm. out like a fantasy it's it's even even when you know some of these characters have you know their quote unquote tragic end or, right. or whatever you want to call it their legacy lives on and one of the things that i noticed is uh for one it's abundantly clear that john millius has like the biggest heart on for um teddy roosevelt <laughs> that's like that's throughout the movie there's like they walk up on the uh <laughs> on the like rough rider yep. statue and uh and, yeah and like he's just the dude just is so into teddy roosevelt it's kind of funny and then in the end they have this the, this like plaque um but the, it's like a monument oh, right. to the right. the wolverines right and they are now in the same league as teddy roosevelt they are it begins almost with a the, pretty much the movie does pretty much begin with that statue of teddy roosevelt mm-hmm. from the first few shots yep. after the title cards and then it ends with the statue of the soldiers that fought and it's, it's sort of putting them in the same league as like Teddy Roosevelt, as these figures that John Milius really looks up to as American heroes uh, in that sense. And, uh, and, and yeah, so this, this really is, it's a fantasy. It isn't like, you know, you're not watching it like, Oh, this is scary. Oh, this could happen. Or, I mean, I guess maybe some people were like, Oh, this sure. is scary. This could happen. Really but, uh, right. That That's not the, that's not the way he made it though. That wasn't his thought when he was making it. He was thinking like, Man, let him right. try something. And and that's basically what Charlie Sheen said, okay. too. In that, that quote you were mentioning earlier, he was like, I'm ready for him. I'm ready for the Soviets. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I, I, 100% to everything you just said. And also just the, the term preemptive strike. Just think about every time an American president <laughs> has invoked the notion of a preemptive strike uh, or any time that a, you know, a strike against the United States has elicited just a completely ridiculous disproportional response. I mean... Like, I fully believe that, like, U.S. uh, military knew exactly that when and how uh, Pearl Harbor was going to happen. And they just needed an excuse to get Mm -hmm. involved in the war, like, at a certain point. And that, you know, they were like, okay, we'll just let this be the excuse. And then, uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. 9-11, say what you want about who did Mm (laughs) 9-11. But, like, up until 9-11, there had been you know, the slow beating war drums against, you know, Iraq, you know, Saddam, Iran, Iraq, who, the Kuwaitis, like whoever you want. And I'm sure that there were, I mean, there were plenty of people who were like, yeah, like, let them, let them try it. Like, let them attack us. And that, and then 9-11 happened and we have our answer, right? That's now, now we can finally mm-hmm. live out the fantasy of what we would do. And, <laughs> and, and right. after 9-11, of course, you know, I mean, we were both kids, but like you hear about the, this like upsurge in hate crimes and just like insanely violent mm-hmm. uh, rhetoric and, and uh, just these ridiculous op-eds from people like David Frum or whatever, t- talking about, you know, just dehumanizing our, our new enemy and, and feeding into this, uh, just this, the scaremongering racism Mm-hmm. totally ridiculous also on the teddy roosevelt point uh what is one of the one of the things that teddy roosevelt is most famous for in terms of uh what you, foreign policy if you can call it that the fucking battle of san juan san juan hill it's teddy roosevelt in yeah Cuba. yeah because the spanish american and so right. it that yeah. just you know it's subtle and maybe maybe not a lot of people know that that history super well i'm not an expert but it's like uh there there you go jo- john milius has his like anti-cuban uh, bona fides right there <laughs> because his hero Teddy Roosevelt invaded Cuba yeah and he pre- yeah you know they have, we've been trying to invade invade Cuba ever since right 
Uh, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> yes, and that is how it's been. <laughs> yeah. Consistent. Consistent. They're, they're going to make uh, another, sorry, yes. real quick. They're going to make another version of this movie yeah. in like 10 years, but it's going to be about Venezuela for sure. 100%. Oh my God. It's going to be. Honestly, John Milius is probably already. Oh, it, fuck so. that. Oh my God. I fucking dare you, John Milius. <laughs> I dare He's you. come back. Come on. Yeah. Podcast, <laughs> You're invited to. Uh, no, that totally, totally. I can't wait for that. It's going to be so good. We can go to the oh premiere. So the scene, one of the scenes I wanted to talk about, and I sort of touched on it earlier, but um, there's a scene where they essentially go back into town, the kids, and uh, they go to find the quote unquote re-education camps that uh, all the, the adults have been placed into. And they go into, they want to find their dad who they believe is in there. And he is, and it's Harry Dean Stanton comes out and he's just this tough you know, mountain town. And he's like, how are you doing kids? And in the background, they're at a, um, a drive-in theater actually. And in the background, they're just screening like, oh, you know, Soviet propaganda. Yeah. yeah. yeah and they're, they're in these like fenced off areas and it's like, man, we're, we're being interned in the worst conditions possible. And it's like, dude, it's been like 12 hours. Like it's not that bad. You haven't done anything that bad. And he's got like his bruises. And oh yeah. It looks um, like he's like had a show. You got exactly. Well, okay. But isn't this the part where it's like, it's technically been a month and they've come back and, but even then it's only been a month. Okay. Wait, has it been a month? Yeah, I am. I'm honestly, this will show you. I might've gotten my timeline fucked up. I didn't think it had been that long but you might honestly right. yeah um so <laughs> so yeah so maybe it's been a month then and they go back and they're like talking to their dad and he is just like the toughest and he's like let me tell you boys i've always been tough on you and it was because i wanted you to be prepared for this and and i like like for when the commies invade like was he just like this could happen anytime yes. like I, it was so bizarre one of them i think they're both like kind of in tears and he scolds him. He's like, you know, knock that weak shit off. You know, you're not women. You need to not cry, basically. And he's like, I, don't ever, don't ever do it again, is what he says. Like, don't ever cry in front of me again, yeah. something like that. And he's just like, totally just like the most, you know, tough dad with no, you know, just masculine guy. But bless um, Harry Dean Stanton. He weighs like 110 pounds and is about five foot five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and at this point, he was still, like, old yeah. as hell. Like, Harry Dean Stanton has always been 100, and then he lived to exactly. be 100. Like, it's crazy. Exactly. He gives this whole speech, and uh, and then the kids are like, we're going to do you proud, pa. And then they, they run off, and then as they're running off, Harry Dean Stanton screams, boys, avenge me! Boys! Avenge me! Avenge me! And and it is the most ridiculous part of the movie. It is truly like, who do you think you are, man? But they gotta like <laughs> right. they gotta. What, what do you want them to kill every Soviet soldier for you? Like it's up to you, boys. The five of you yep. total in hiding in the mountains. You are gonna take on the entire force of the Soviet Union uh, immediately afterward. Patrick Swayze is like taking on the role of their yeah. dad and is like none of you are allowed to cry now i can't cry papa said so now none mm -hmm. of you can cry and um puts them in their place and you know it, it's sort of this funny thing though where he says all of this and it's sort of like okay it seems 
as though he is taking on, you know, this is the impact of his father. His father has raised him this way. And so he's sort of mirroring what he's been taught, what he's been told. And it's sort of funny because it's like, I think in a better movie where it was more like nuanced and about character, you'd be like, you know, this is just, he is a kid and this is like all he knows. But it also does seem to be like the call to action of the movie because, you know, with this scene, and with a couple of others, when they go and they revisit the the cabin, I think it, it's either when they the girls join them or maybe it's afterward when mm-hmm. they go back. And they're talking about, like, you know, them being tough and, and taking care of themselves and, and taking care of everyone. And it sort of combines the two things that I took away from this movie, which is one, like, this is aimed at kids. This is, like, essentially a kids movie that's just hyper-violent mm-hmm. that is, like kid power kind of a thing and then at the same time it's this really ridiculous issue where it's kind of like a if the, that scene in particular like these two scenes in, in particular felt like a, that was the real call of action it's like a plea to the youth of 1984 mm-hmm. to keep up this true masculine spirit of america like it is up to them. And I think that it's funny because if you look at the 80s as like this re- culturally really weird, you know, that's where you have like, you know, Bowie's really big in the 80s and he does the whole like oh, androgynous yeah. thing. Man. Um, this is the conservative mm-hmm. side of that. You know, this is like, you know, we got this this weak Bowie shit going around and uh, no, what we need, we need the true American spirit. We need manly men. And it's funny, too, because we watched that and this is the same week that the Harry Styles dress. Oh, man. Happened. Oh, yeah where all the conservatives were like, what happened to manly men? And I watched this movie like the day after that discourse happened. And I was like, this is fucking hilarious. This is like just the same shit that conservatives say over and over again is how men used to be manly. And it's like uh, ridiculous. And I'm really glad you brought that up. It's so, so funny because it's again, what, what do these people think that this like uh, emasculation of men is caused by? What do they, what do they say that it's caused by? fucking communism like it, it makes the, <laughs> right. like the the way that these words like mix around in their brains is just so crazy well because candace owens literally exactly. said the and and they're teaching marxism in school yeah. oh my god yeah. And, and, yeah like she literally connected it that was the same the same week the same stupid I, discourse i didn't listen to the candace owens one i listened to the ben shapiro reaction I watched them both. Oh, I should check out the Candace <laughs> Owen one because because uh, I, I listened to uh, Hassan Piker's um, <laughs> take on the cute oh, on the uh-huh. um, the Ben Shapiro reaction. But yeah, no. So the, and this is uh, yeah, great, good, good job bringing that up because it's like that's another way in which like anti communism just like filters in through everything else in American culture, mm-hmm. and it's like some in some ways it's more subtle. Like in this movie, kind of, but in some ways, it's just Candace Owens straight up saying, "Yeah, the, like Marxism is making our boys gay, basically, or making them effeminate." <laughs> yeah, no, and it, it was so funny watching it because it's the same thing; it's the same argument. And this is the, like the call to action, though. This is like the John Milius is regarded as like the manly mm-hmm. man. You know, he was like a, a high school athlete. He views himself as like you know, the leader in this role, you know, he is the, the super like NRA gun nut dude. Fucking um, he is just like the classic, like masculine manly man in, in his own eyes. I don't know, but, but yeah, so this is sort of a, like, we need to keep this alive. We need to be prepared. And also we want kids to, you know, sign on and uh, go fight commies. If mm-hmm. it comes to that, you know, shit like that. 
yeah, so this scene in the re-education camp and then in the aftermath of it is really where I thought, you know, the messaging of the movie really, really hits as far as, you know, we're reaching out to the kids and, uh, and we got to keep masculine men around. That's the only answer. Yep. And to do that, you got to kill communists. The only way. Yeah. Okay. So there were two scenes that I wanted to kind of touch on and, and expand a little bit because they were pretty uh, thought provoking for me. The first one in chronological order in the film is uh, the scene where we have a young Daryl uh, who's like, I think he, isn't he the son of the mayor? Yeah. Because, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. 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 And his, because his dad is working with the, the communists. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause there's that whole scene where he's talking to them and he's just like the most, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just like a <laughs> like car- beta. So beta. Like they're like trying to make him out to be, no, that's he's the, he's uh, yeah, I mean, he's a classic fucking politician, right? And in some ways I think that was kind of John Milius's right. little dig at like, uh, politicians in general. It's his, yeah, just he his libertarian yeah. psychotic side. But yeah, so Daryl's dad is like a collaborator. How dare he work with the phobias? And <laughs> Daryl um, gets, they like, so there's like a shootout and then the kids end up capturing this uh, young Soviet soldier um, and they got him in his long johns tied up and they're you know, trying to get information out of him. And that, I mean, that whole scene is just hilarious too. Cause it's so, again, it's so old school, like Sprechen Sie Deutsch. And, and then uh, <laughs> Patrick Swayze is like, so what if he does, you don't, which is like, just so just classic Americans don't speak any other languages. So yeah. So they, they get this, this young Soviet guy and on his person, he had like a, some kind of um, radar device, like a, tracking thing and navigate i don't know what you call it i don't know yeah it's like a yeah it's yeah like a radar thing it's it's basically it's attached it's one end of a it's a the receiver to a remote tracking device and the remote tracking device is inside our boy daryl because they made him swallow it and they use they were using him as like uh you know the the they were using him to track the movements of the wolverines these you know this rogue group of kids mm-hmm. and so they they figure out what this device is doing. It's you know the arrow points straight towards Daryl, and then of course it comes out like oh my god, like Daryl, you betrayed us. Like how could you? What did you, you know? And then it comes out that like he was they made him do it. His dad turned him in. Blah blah blah. He they're just like crying, really upset. Patrick Swayze is like coming you know coming to this horrible realiz- realization that they're in severe danger because they've been you know, their location is known, uh, and also that he might have to like murder his friend. So then uh, that scene ends, and they it, it's kind of it's, it, it kind of looks like the next day they've gone out into the open, and they have it's like this windy, dry, cold you know Colorado scene, and you have the Soviet guy in his long johns tied up, and then you have uh, Daryl. And they're lined up next to each other. And Patrick Swayze uh, has his, you know, his sidearm and he's about to blow this guy away. I forget. Oh, yeah. The, the, the line about the Soviet guy. He says, this is this violates the, the Geneva Convention. Patrick Swayze then just says, I never heard of it. This violates the Geneva Convention. I never heard of it. In this ridiculous, like it's so <laughs> comical. It's, it's the a, best delivery of any line in the movie. Oh though. my god! Oh no! It. But it, I mean, he 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 tops it in this it. scene though, and I'll, I'll get to it in a second. I forget exactly, you know, when he gets the 
the cojones to pull the trigger or whatever, but he shoots this guy and then he turns his gun on Daryl and Daryl is like, don't shoot, please don't shoot. And he's like crying. And, and then Matt, uh, who is Charlie Sheen's character, the younger brother, he's like, stop, what are you doing? Like, how you can't do this. He's freaking out. And he's like, what Patrick Swayze is like, why not? And he, Charlie Sheen is like, Charlie, what's the difference between us and them? And, and Patrick Swayze just like, you know, recharges his, his weapon, gets all flustered, and he says, because we live here. Because we live here. <laughs> it's just unhinged. It just makes no fucking sense. But what is that? There's no politics in that. There's no morality in that. It's just, you're just, st- you're just saying words. And uh, what? Well, and then they follow that up with the cop-out of, like, instead of, like, giving you know, okay, so then what do you think? You know, what, what do you think? Uh, should he do it? Should he not do it? They kind of do a cop-out and the uh, the war-crazed yes. other kid just, like, yeah. guns him down, fucking blows right. him away. There's this, there's, there's and, this other yeah. kid, uh, Robert, who, yeah, he's he's become, like, the, the bloodthirsty, kind of uh, black-pilled um, murderer. <laughs> and he's, like, he's kind of the most badass looking of the, of the group at this point, which I guess is the, yeah. the idea, right? Cause he's the crazy one. Yeah. He just like takes out, he's got like a fucking M16 and he just like, boom, like shoots this guy point, point blank. He falls forward. Daryl falls forward, bloody onto, onto Robert. And, uh, and that's it. And then we get a couple of minutes of Patrick Swayze crying. <laughs> that's right. That's he's up he's in the hills. Hill he's, got, he's holding crying. like a little picture or something. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what it is, but, and he's just crying and, and apparent, and you can see his boogers just like falling out of it, like coming, it's not coming out of his nose. He's like, and it's like freezing because it's really cold. And apparently, because they're filming on location, yeah. it was actually that cold. The article I read said that they were fucking like uh, Patrick Swayze got frostbite on one of his feet because it's just like, so oh, ouch. Can you imagine suffering that much to make a movie this bad? Oh man, all that for it's Red Dawn. Nice. Huh? The fucking okay. legacy you're leaving. Anyway, right. So, so that that scene. I just wanted to highlight that because it's so, first of all, it's so embarrassing just from like a dialogue point of, point of view. Um, but it's also just so like insanely hypocritical. Like you have this thing about like where he's like, I never heard of it. And I never heard of the Geneva Convention. Like, fuck you. Because, you know, we all know that major powers don't follow the Geneva Con- Convention at all. Like the, the countries that wrote the Geneva Con- Convention only use it as a cudgel to accuse their enemies of war crimes violations or um, human rights violations right. in order to justify further violence or preemptive strike or retaliation or whatever you want to call it. Um, like how literally every day the United States accuses another country of war crimes or human rights violations. Meanwhile, we have ICE detention centers where people are literally being gassed by uh, like toxic disinfectants instead of being able to like take a shower during a pandemic so it's a little uh just a little bit hypocritical just a little yeah <laughs> a little nice little seasoning of uh, hypocrisy right and not there. not like that actually means anything right not like hypocrisy actually makes anyone change right. their behavior in this country no it doesn't matter that's somebody um, else's problem that's the other right problems. right only only communists can be hy- hypocrites not in the good old us no, we're pure true-blooded honest genius hard-working americans here that that really is that is like one of that's a that's a good scene that was a good scene breakdown because um yeah that was the scene where i was like what's even happening right and it's like it's almost like i mean this kind of thing happens in other movies that i've seen about uh, again defiance is a good example of this like uh watching 
the the kind of intergroup dynamics play out as things get more and more stressful in like a, a guerrilla warfare type situation. It's like sometimes you have to make really horrible decisions to protect like the group or whatever. And uh, this is the just class, you know, perfect example of that in this movie. I think it kind of had to be done where it's like, oh, no, these people are they have to kill each other now because the or like th- this is what this war has driven us like us to like we will eventually be, like, like it's almost mm-hmm. like it's trying to be like a a kind of greater commentary on like the you know the this sort of universalized violence that happens during war during conflict mm-hmm. but it it like stops short of that because john milius is not smart enough and also he, it's like not <laughs> like it just it doesn't fit in with a greater narrative of like pro-war right. um, anti-communists sorry nope. not to cut you off but th- that's that's like totally that was kind of my thing is that there are points where i'm like what exactly is he trying right. to say with this because yeah no that that is a thing there are these elements that are a little more messy where it sort of is like okay this is you know this is moving in more of like a human drama direction right. which sort of turns away from like the just pure like propaganda action kind of a thing mm-hmm. going on um but like it doesn't really take any strong convictions or it, it sort of is like uh this like semi-developed thing and then the end result the implication of it is like you know war is messy exactly which <laughs> is it. which is a very milk toast way of looking at the world and uh, looking at history and looking at themes like this, which makes perfect sense for how reactionaries and le- neoliberals would like analyze a situation like this. Like, doesn't that sound exactly like how, mm-hmm. you know, people like Obama talk to us now about the war in Afghanistan? Like, oh, well, it's just right. too much of a, of a, of a conundrum. I guess we'll never know the answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it's like, um, there was like, there was drone discourse on Twitter again the other day. And one of the tweets was like, what would you rather we're risking us soldiers lives? Like, okay. All right, dude. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's really, it's like that. I mean, that it's really is that that is the neoliberal thing is the, uh, you know, well, you know, it's war. What do you right? Like, and, and we have to go to war. So what do you like, what do you want from us? No, exactly. And that's really that is some of I think some of it is just like people with the most absolutely like fucking stupid shallow understanding mm-hmm. of things, and some of it is just like pure evil, um, playing stupid. And it's always like a, a matter of, um, you know, if they have the blue check, then you can decide like oh, which side they're on. Definitely, <laughs> you know, right? Hey, those class interests, man. Yeah. So wrapping up, moving towards wrapping up, I should say. Uh, the last scene that I wanted to talk about is, you know, if you go on YouTube, the the movie clip clip is called uh, Vaya con Dios. And it's the second or third to last scene of the film where the Wolverines ha- are have taken over the town again, basically. They're, they're, there's this big firefight between, you know, what's left of the communists in the in the town and between these all these teenagers and it's after the liberation of the, or kind of in the same time as the liberation of those camps, uh, which is another like big kind of just lots of explosions and people peppering entire platoons of Cuban and Soviet soldiers. And it's just, it's very like comical 
kind of like um, Charlie Sheen's running around with two rocket launchers on each arm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, that's the perfect way to describe it. So a lot of action going on. Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze are running around the town, killing Cubans, Cuban Soviets. And they're, it kind of seems like they're looking for this general, like the, the, or whoever he is, the, the commandante of the Russian like wing of things, who is kind of like a crazy bloodthirsty Russian who said at one point earlier on, when they introduced this character, the Russian character, he's like, the only way to win a war is to exterminate the enemy. So like there, you know, there's no sympathy. We can have no sympathy for these like children who are, you know, waging this guerrilla war on us because we have to exterminate them. And it's like, okay, dude. So this guy is pretty funny. He's this, this Russian general runs out of his building when he, you know, the, all the tanks and all these teenagers come rolling through the town and there's all this uh, fighting going on. He, he, comes out of his office he's like his boots are undone his jacket's undone you know he doesn't have his uh hat on there's like snow it's really you know clearly very cold out he comes out with his with his weapon and he's just like ah, where are they like I, speaking in russian i don't even know it's, it's all bad no i don't think anybody in this movie actually spoke the language that they were supposed to be speaking because <laughs> i heard some of the most embarrassing spanish i've ever heard in my life in this movie i was i was like there's no way that this is accurate right okay I'm oh it's so bad like like it's like technically like grammatically accurate but the, it's just like no one says that or okay. like it's just very awkward the like way the they... spanish i learned i get you <laughs> maybe and also yeah they're not even trying to do like cuban accents or <laughs> anything like that then we see that it, there's like a, a quiet moment or like that we see the the russian general lurking through some a bunch of uh, supplies all stacked up in boxes and he sees some blood and like a weapon on the ground and he's like oh what happened here he turns around and as he's facing the other direction patrick swayze in his big coat comes out from behind a truck or something and he draws his sidearm and he he turns it on the this russian and instead of just shooting him in the back which is probably what i would have done <laughs> like oh fuck yeah just so kill this dumb. guy he says you lose and of course the russian guy immediately turns around and he's got like an automatic weapon and starts shooting him and so patrick swayze gets shot but then he he you know in the same of course at the same time he also gets a couple shots in and this russian general goes down flat on his back he's bleeding out of his chest he's dead his eyes are open and he's just dead. And they, and they pan away and you see Patrick Swayze picking up Charlie Sheen, who is bloodied. And, you know, I, I forget exactly what happened to him, but at some point he, uh, in the earlier few minutes, he got um, shot. And so he's carrying his, his kid brother and they both just, they look terrible. It's dark with this kind of bright spotlight shining on them from a building. And, you know, I don't think either of them are holding a weapon anymore. And this, the Cuban general who's been, I forget his name, but he's, you know, been a character throughout. Uh, he's got his little beret and his very Cuban mustache and he's kind of tall, dark and handsome. He draws his weapon on these boys because he knows exactly who they are and he just holds his fire and Patrick Swayze just stops dead in his tracks. He looks, looking at him just kind of like with this blank half dead stare. It's not really like a pleading stare. It's just kind of like stunned. Pretty good acting, pretty good uh, facial expression going on there. But then the Cuban pulls it, puts his weapon down. And as the boys walk away, he kind of like gestures with his hand and he says, vaya con Dios. And it's just kind of ridiculous to me that, it, you know, it, it, first of all, like, 
I think my, my impression is that this, the, the stereotype of like Soviet communists, Russian communists and that from that part of the world is that they're just like bloodthirsty atheists. They're godless heathens. Communists <laughs> are godless heathens. It. Yeah. No, that really right. is a thing. Yeah. 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 Right. Like, I mean, they, they literally, like, I've literally had like Catholic people tell me like, oh, commun- you can't, you can't be a communist. Like communi- com- communism is bad because they want to exterminate the church. They want to like exterminate religion. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, is that really that bad a thing? Even if it were true. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, sorry. But then, on, so the, then on the flip side, the Latin Americans have always been, they're kind of like a different beast, right? In terms of stereotyping them, because they are a more, uh, they, they don't have as much of a reputation for being like these like strict, like authoritarian figures like the Russians have, which I guess like that's probably, that's holdover from like the time of Stalin. Like we had this, this vision of uh, the authoritarian, like Eastern European leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Latin Americans is kind of like different because Latin, Latin Latin people, right? They're like, hey, they like to dance and uh, <laughs> uh, drink tequila, like you know, whatever. Not saying that I buy that no, stereotype or whatever. That depicted, but yeah. that's the way that they're depicted. They're kind of more soft. They're they're more they're romantic. Oh yeah, and the 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 freaking um the the love letter that this Cuban writes. There's this little scene where he you get this kind of private insight into the Cuban's uh personal life where he's writing to his you know his wife or his sweetheart or whatever, talking about oh I can, you know I can, we're so far from home. Like I haven't felt a Cuban summer and or or whatever it is, you know the island summer. Very dramatic and romantic and cheesy. So we see this, the, the Cuban is the soft one. And of course he spares the lives of the, you know, this enemy that he's been fighting for months and months and months. And, uh, and it, it's just kind of like, yeah, dude, like the, like I said before, like the Cubans would not be in this situation. <laughs> the, you know, the Cuban communists do not, are not imperialists. They do not seek to invade the United States. Right. So uh, that's actually like maybe something in the movie that makes the most sense in a way where it's like, yeah, the, the, the Cuban guy would be the nice one. Yeah. And it, it, it's really funny though. His character is a really funny one. I think like his, his that character scenes are, are maybe some of my favorite because um, say what you will about John Milius as we have like trashed him. The man can write some goddamn one-liners because the best line in that movie actually comes from that Cuban guy, which is when he's talking to, I believe he's talking to the Russian dude. And, um, he is like very at odds with the way they're going about this. He's like, we have to win the hearts of the people and the Russian guy. That's when he says that line you referenced, I think, uh, you know, we have to just crush them. That's the way we have to do it. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. so he, um, he really is kind of depicted as this like more romantic sort of character with like a, you know, a more romantic understanding of things. And he references how, you know, he was always on the side of the insurgents, things like that. Like he, he says, yes. Yeah. That's. And, and so it's like, it's his role to be like, to prove like, is John Milley is trying to prove, like, look at the hypocrisy of all of these, you know, like I don't, they've betrayed what they claim to believe in, in the first place. Like, I don't really understand like what the intention is there. That's another one where the, the messaging is just weird. It's like, Okay, whatever. You know, I, I, I'm really glad that you remembered that because I, I had forgotten that that was an element of it where it's like, yeah, that I've always been on the side of the insurgent. I've always been on the side of the guerrilla, like, yeah. I, you know, be, because, and that that's for people who don't know about the Cuban revolution. I mean, that's what the Cuban revolution was. It was a small force of, of revolutionaries, Fidel, Che, and, and all of their people literally living in the jungle, like very, very slowly uh, getting the 
all the campesinos on their side and mm-hmm. getting everyone armed. Like they had very few weapons. They were, you know, they were deeply outnumbered and outgunned. And they, I mean, they won because they, because it was a popular liberation struggle and they, their messaging was, was with the people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the people did not want to continue living under this authoritarian uh, capitalist dictatorship that was in the pocket of, of the American government. And so, but then it's like, if you don't know that history, which almost no Americans really do know that, that full history, especially in the 80s when it was so much newer in the, the, um, right. you know, the anti-Cuban, uh, you know, the blockade was so strong and, and, and all this stuff. We had so much, so much animosity between us. So at that time, you can imagine that that line, that, that contradiction or that dynamic happening between the Russian, you know, these, these uh, godless heathen Russians and the slightly softer, more revolutionary, um, like more idealistic almost. Mm. Uh, the, the Cubans are more idealistic. Uh, that dynamic like wouldn't really strike you that much if you didn't really, if you didn't understand. So it's right. just, it's just, it just lays as this kind of um, cultural difference rather than being based in any historical fact basically yeah and so he's like almost made i mean he really he is the character that plays the role of the like sympathetic villain that is like the the character archetype he holds um and and they almost treat him like a useful idiot right like he's like he has to get there first and do the kind of dirty work of setting shit up Mm -hmm. and then the russians come in Pretty much, yeah. The Russians are like yeah. a cold, calculating, like get shit done group. Um, and he, again, they want him to be Nazis. They want <laughs> so the Russians bad. to be the Nazis. Yeah, so bad. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it, it is really funny. Um, he has he has like what I think is the best line in the movie. Um, just like objectively, it's a pretty good line. Uh, at one point in the movie, before this though, this is not that line. They're walking through and they're looking at the aftermath of the um, the Wolverines and the damage he does. And the, mm-hmm. like the way it's written is just to like name drop as many like uprisings or whatever uh as possible to be like this is grounded in politics see it's really weird um but he right. he walks through the bodies and he says i've seen this before nicaragua san salvador cambodia angola and mexico but these are my yep. men and that's and i was like what, what is oh my god about? zach you ah you're remembering all this stuff that i didn't that i didn't write down i wrote down uh, so yeah many that quotes. is so anytime that guy was on screen i wrote down his dialogue so <laughs> I man, I might have to fucking rewatch it because because yeah, no, that's these are my men. Yeah, that's so and, crazy. So they, they put him in the position of being like at odds with the other things going on, and it's sort of like he is realizing the error of their ways, which is it's it's like dumb. It's like you said, it's just a dumb thing. But where I am going with this is not like a, a really um, profound point. But he has the best line in the movie, which is where he's arguing with the Russian guy. And he's talking about how, like, you know, he used to be doing the, you know, he, he used to be one of the the rebels, one of the guerrilla fighters and all this. And mm-hmm. then he, he tells him, or the guy asks him, like, well, what does that make you now or something like that? And uh, the Cuban dude oh, responds, yeah. now I'm like you, a policeman. And that's the best line of the movie. <gasps> it's such a good line. That's like the one thing of the movie that I was like, that was that was a good one. <laughs> mm chef's kiss it's just yeah. a good no, line you're it's right just like cool dialogue it, because john millie is right one-liners yeah right it's a great one-liner it's a great back and forth and it, it is interesting but it's not interesting in the way that they want you to think that it's interesting like it's right. it's interesting because yes this cuban person like this cuban soldier has like a different experience of revolution like they you know they um and they are not imperialists. Like I've said, 
for three, three times, times already. Yeah. That's not that's not their purpose. Like it's not the purpose of a communist revolution. It's inherently anti-imperial. But so maybe what's happening kind of subtly, this is John Milius and his like, you know, evil genius or whatever. Not genius. What what's the word I'm thinking of? His like hidden agenda. He he knows, even though most people won't. You know, yes, there are these communist powers happening in, or, or arising in other countries, but it's really the Russians who are behind it all. And so the Russians have even corrupted this like soft, well-meaning Cuban. And the Russians have turned him into, you know, this imperialist enforcer, this policeman. You're right. They make the Cuban the kind of sensitive, like a, a sympathetic villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they let that play out in order to make the Russians look even more people. <laughs> yeah, well, and, it, and it's funny, too, because it, it's not like it led you to believe that, like, by and large, the the uh, Cuban soldiers are, like, not with it. Like, the rest of the Cuban soldiers are right, just, right. like, brown people yeah, dying. That's the whole thing. Exactly. It's, you know, just getting murked by five kids in the woods. Um, he's right. the only one John with Millie's any personality. Fantasy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so, so he he really is, like, the only one with any personality who's, like made to be sympathetic none of the other guys are mm-hmm. they're all just nazis okay so did you have any other thoughts anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap things up well i guess you know we kind of said a lot of what we need to say but it just the the big picture i guess is just that things are not always as they seem right especially when it comes mm-hmm. to any uh depiction of the united states in relation to specifically to communist countries or socialist countries as you you know as it were and you know with the, some of the tropes that we saw here the hyper hyper um dehumanization of the the quote-unquote enemy the the soviet the cuban whatever y- using every possible juncture to make them out to be like inferior in every way i don't know i, th- I feel like maybe we're just repeating ourselves at this point but basically america you know American propaganda is real. It's very pervasive. We all have to do the work of like unlearning some of the histories that we've been taught and some of the messages that we've been taught by movies like this um, and by people who prescribe to the narratives of movies like this, whether intentionally like through this is their actual worldview or unintentionally just because it's absorbed through through cultural communication mm-hmm. so that's um, what we're doing yeah we get to talk shit about john millias for two hours <laughs> well uh i'd say that this recording was a victory um we have officially now i guess wrapped our first episode so uh look to see another one coming soon uh any any goodbye thoughts that you want to throw at the audience i'll just say thanks zach this is great yeah, thanks, Mariah. This was this was a great one. This this went pretty well. So, all right, everyone. Hope to see you soon. Peace.